so bored. I wish I had something to do. <sighs> Thanks for letting me sleep in, kids. If you make a mess in the kitchen, please let me know so I can clean it up. Raising kids is so easy. I just love driving around all day. Oh, I never have to repeat myself. They always listen so carefully. Oh, look, an empty box of cereal. Love it. Just wipe it on your sleeve. It's pretty cold, but you don't need a coat. Oh, you don't have to push in your chair. Don't make your bed, you're just gonna sleep in it again later. I think I'll skip the coffee today. You know, these throw pillows look way better on the floor. I'm really not that busy. Well, you haven't showered in three days, but I think you smell great. We do have food at home, but let's just go out to eat. Just brush your teeth whenever you feel like it. Here, take my phone charger and go put it in your room. Oh, just leave your dirty dishes on the counter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's all pull out our phones. Youth sports are so cheap. Braces are so cheap. School fees are so cheap. Hey, can you come crawl in bed with me around 2 a.m.? Thanks. Okay, I just spent two hours making dinner, but if you don't like it, that's fine. Just let me know and I'll make you something else. Don't even bother looking for that. I'm sure it's lost and gone forever. Can somebody please throw something at my head? I mean, I can keep track of every single one of your things. I get a ton of sleep. I get a ton of gratitude from my children. I get a ton of unsolicited help with the housework. Oh, you don't have to hurry up. We're gonna be right on time. Can someone please throw something at the TV? Thanks for doing the laundry, everyone. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can you use your outside voice? Ah! Fight, fight, fight! The floor of this vehicle is so clean, I can't believe it. Oh, good. Another trip to the grocery store today. Let's go. Somebody want to come use the bathroom while I'm in here? Ah, oh, yes. Happy Mother's Day indeed. Give it up for all the moms in the room, all of our moms online, for our wonderful online community who join us literally from around the globe. Happy Mother's Day to all of you who are moms, grandmas, uh, and uh, what a great... Um, just what a great time for us as a family to come back. Uh, I had an interesting... Uh, ex I had an interesting experience this week, and so I, I feel compelled to remind you that if you have just started coming to this church the last, oh, month or so, my name is Corey, and I'm the pastor here, and we've not met. Um, but I'm so glad you're here, and I'm usually here, but we haven't been because we just had our second child, Blake. We just dedicated him. Um, and, uh, and so I thought it would be fitting on Mother's Day this weekend, this Mother's Day weekend, um, and on the arrival of our second, our second child, our son, Blake, um, that actually I have something that's been on my heart for quite a while, uh, something that's really kind of deep within me that I think will really speak to everyone, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, uh, whether you're following Jesus or you're just checking out this faith journey. I want to kind of cover all of it. And I, I believe it's a timely word based on just what I see happening in the world around us. And, um, and so I want to talk on this Mother's Day about parenting, but I want to talk about God and I want to talk about what he's up to in our lives. And, and, and just a little bit of insight into our family. If you're new to this church or maybe you haven't, maybe I told more stories on the front end of me being here. Um, you just met my, my family, uh, Rebecca and Madison and Blake. But my wife, Rebecca, and I just celebrated 16 years of marriage yesterday. It was our anniversary. And um, thank you. Uh, and we love being married. But I'll tell you this. We love being parents. Like we absolutely love being parents. I'm not gonna say no one loves it um, more than us. Uh, or no, I'm not gonna say we love it more than everybody else, but you can't love it more than us. Um, 
We love all the aspects of it. We love the hard parts. We love the challenging parts. We love the parts most people complain about. Um, we're not saying we're great at it. We're not saying we're ready to write a book or anything, but we just, we really love it. We are very intentional in our approach. I think our almost uh, 20 years of youth and young adult ministry probably trained us pretty well and gave us some ideas. And we're the type of people that like to be prepared. So we listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books and um, we're by far in no way perfect, but, um, but we just love parenting because we view parenting as discipleship. Uh, and, uh, and so if you've never met my family, this is our family. You, uh, you just met uh, Blake, but um, we had our daughter Madison 10 years ago. Madison is 10 years old now. She's still here uh, uh, with me and she's awesome. And she's a wonderful big sister. And um, we always wanted to have lots of kids, but we, for whatever reason, could not get pregnant. So for 10 years, we struggled with infertility. And by the grace and miracle of God, uh, just a month ago today or four weeks ago today, we had Blake. Um, and so Blake was just here with us and he's awesome and cute. And, um, and I'm going to show you a picture and this is really how it is in our home right now. It may not be this way forever, but they really do love each other. She's an awesome big sister and she's so helpful. And so this is my family. This is uh, us. And um, there is just not much in life that brings more joy, if anything, to me than my family. I love my job. I love a lot of hobbies. I love helping people, but I really, really love being a dad. In fact, I remember dreaming and, and, and aspiring and feeling like God even spoke to me about being a dad, even in my late teenage and early 20 years old. And, um, and, and so I want to talk about that for a minute, but I want to talk about that in relationship to how God interacts with us as his children. And so, um, for us as parenting, any success that we've had or any wins that we've had up to this point, and by the way, I'm very aware that um, uh, we have not raised teenagers yet. I'm aware of that. I worked with them for 15 years, so I'm aware of that. Although I was in a home where my parents raised three of them and they did a really good job, um, and uh, mostly uh, with most of us. Um, but I want to just, if you're a parent in here, and even if you're not, I want you to pay attention to a couple things because I'm going to connect the dots. And so some of the success that we have found in our parenting is the fact that when we started our journey and we planned, we were married for a while before we had Madison, is that with parenting, it always helps to begin with the end in mind. You have to begin with the end in mind. And for some of you, this might be maybe new. You might want to jot some of these thoughts down, but there's different ideas and approaches to parenting. Um, and um, I just want to pastor us for a minute that as a parent, and there's all kinds of studies and research that has gone into this, as a parent, our goal should not be our children's happiness. If our goal is our children's happiness, then we continue to change the, the way the world is around them so that they get what they want in almost every situation, which doesn't really prepare them well for the reality that waits when they leave our house. Uh, not, that we don't want our, not that we want our kids to be unhappy, but part of what is hurting our country and our culture right now is a generation of people who are parenting with their child's happiness in mind. And, and, and there's maybe an alternative uh, idea is rather than our children's happiness being our main priority or goal, our main goal or priority should be to raise mature adults who contribute to society in some sort of way, to make the world a better place. That should be every parent's goal. Uh, again, this is psychologically backed up. This is biblically backed up. Um, and so for us as parents, we aren't like, how can we just make you babies happy? It's how can we make now a, a young lady and a young woman and, and, and a young man and a, a, a man who will make the world a better place and will contribute for, to society. And so, and when you have these two ideas, there's two very different approaches to this. Because if your goal as a parent, or if you grew up in the home where your happiness was your parents' objective, um, there, then the, the approach is this, that in the first scenario, then you have to actually prepare the path for the child. 
What I mean by that is you kind of try to stack the deck and you meet with lots of teachers and coaches and you try to set up everything and you kind of create this almost not real reality for how they grow up. And if a coach challenges them, you, you get on them. And if a teacher gives them a bad grade, you, you, and it's like, man, I got to make sure that everything works. And, and while that may seem like it's really loving, it's not because when they leave your nest, they're going to get their tails kicked by a real world that is not that nice and doesn't really care as much. And so in, if, our, if their happiness is our goal, we have to prepare the path for the child. But if our goal is to raise mature adults who will contribute to a hard sometimes world in, in a positive manner, then we have the responsibility and obligation and privilege to prepare the child for the path, which means we teach them about disappointment. They do lose games and don't get participation awards. They, they do experience disappointment. They do earn discipline when they don't get what they, what they don't do what they were supposed to do. It doesn't mean they, it has to be met with anger and punishment, but you prepare a child for a path that is inevitable. And if you've been an adult long enough, you should kind of know what that path is going to be. Mean people, jobs and bosses that don't care, and you're going to have to earn your keep and you won't get a participation award just for showing up to work. You get to keep your job, but you may not get promoted. In that first scenario, if you prepare the child for the, if you prepare the path for the child because their happiness is our goal, it actually leads to spoiled, lazy, entitled kids who value comfort and ease. And here's the problem. They see challenge and they see discomfort as something bad and to be avoided when that's not the case. These are usually the children that end up with low self-esteem and they have a very self-centered worldview. Adversely, if you prepare the child for the path and their maturity and contribution to the world is of your main objective, you will raise children that typically have a work ethic. They understand and can take on responsibility. They will value learning and growing even through failure. Um, these are going to be children and, and adults that typically have higher self-esteem and they will have a very other-centered worldview that it's not all about me and God put me here to, 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 to love me, but also to use me to do something great and make his good world an even better world. So if, I'm not even here to talk about parenting. That's just kind of some free stuff. <laughs> but I do realize that some of you, you've maybe never heard that. You, this is new. You, you didn't get these tools growing up. And so maybe I can help you. Some of you are like, man, as teenagers, I wish I could have heard that. Like, I got teenagers, I wish I heard like 16 years ago. Well, it's never too late. Uh, but I want you to think about that. And why do I say that? Because this is Mother's Day and we love to celebrate moms and, and parents and we've got Father's Day coming up next month. But I, want, I say that because it's not just true with how it is in parenting, but it's actually the same with God. God is the same with us. Follow me for a second. See, there's a really unique aspect to the, our nature and the relationship with God that changes if you read the Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you've ever read the Bible, in the Old Testament, God was a very reverent deity, um, cloud by day, fire by night, voice in the wilderness to be honored and revered. And I'm not saying he's not that. He should be all those things. But just to give you an example, to the point where when the, the scribes would write the scrolls in the old days and they would re, rewrite Psalms and, 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 and um, some of the books of the prophets and, and uh, all those stories, that Isaiah, those things like that, every time they would get to the word God, which is Yahweh in Hebrew, they had a special ceremony just out of reverence for his name. They would stop using the pen they were using. They would go do a ceremonially washing, wash their hands, grab a different pen, a different set of ink, and they would just write the first letter of the word because you wouldn't dare write his whole word because he was that 
awe in awe. He was that reverent. He was that holy. You would then put down after you write the first letter, put that pen down, go wash your hands and pick back up where you were. And you did that every single time that you wrote the word of God because they were just that serious about his awesomeness and his goodness and his bigness. And I do think we've lost some of that. However, Jesus shows up on the scene as a rabbi, as the son of God, and he gives us this very different picture of how we're to understand the nature of our relationship with God. See, following Jesus isn't a religion. Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship to be had. And so Jesus all of a sudden starts talking to God. And of all the pictures and images he uses, he starts calling him father. And not only did he claim that God was his father because he really was. He actually gave us permission and invited us into that same relationship because early on in his ministry, his disciple says, hey, will you teach us how to pray? And he says, yes, I will. This is how you should pray. Start like this. Our father. Wait a minute. You mean the guy we can't even write his whole name out? No, no, no. He's your father. And it doesn't say my father. It says our father. And he's inviting us into that. And remember, this was a term of endearment and closeness and family and safety and protection and belonging and identity in that time and in that culture. Now, the Bible was written um, in a male-dominant culture, society, and history, so everything is male. But but really, what is God's goal in our lives is he wants to father us or parent us. And so he invites us into this relationship where he is our father or, or our parent and we are his children. And so wherever you're at in your, in your, wor- in your world, I'm going to say some things. And I want to connect it to our relationship with God. But you might find some practicals in parenting and, and being a child as well. But God wants us to understand through this picture that he is interested in our lives and he's directly invested and directly involved in our lives. And like a really good parent, better than any of us, God has good things in mind for us. The Bible is clear in the Old and New Testament. He wants good things for us. And I believe uh, he begins with us. He begins with the end in mind. Obviously, starting with eternity, which is why he sent Jesus to die. But even in our time here on earth, he has the end in mind. He knows what he put us here to do. He knows your story. He knows what he wants to use you for. And so he's going to put things in your life to help you become the best version of yourself. Now, who doesn't want to follow that kind of a parent, have that parent? And so here's what God's up to in your life. I'm just going to tell you, I'll I'll summarize like, I don't know, like a thousand pages of the Bible. There's a couple of things he's up to in your life. Number one, first and foremost, he desperately wants you to know your identity. And it's not anything that you do in the world. It's not anything the world can offer, but it is that you are dearly loved and you are his. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make him love you less. And when you really grab on to your identity as a son or a daughter of the creator of the universe, of the most high, it makes all the things that the world offers to add value to you kind of go to the wayside. And it creates this real security, real self-esteem that the fake version of the world is offering that can't really deliver on. And so he wants you to know is that your identity. Because when you know, my God, is my dad is the guy who created all this and he loves me and he wanted me and he's invested and he's involved, it kind of changes how you feel about yourself. Not in an arrogant way, but in a dearly loved way. And then once you know your identity, his other thing that he's up to is he wants to grow and develop you. He wants you to become a mature adult who adds value to his good world and contributes to it in a a way like he would. In fact, throughout the Bible, we see lots of scriptures that talk about you are salt, you are light, um, love, forgive, serve, put others in front of you. Like the Bible is clear about that God wants you to know that you're his. And then he wants you to contribute to his good world and make it even better with your own free will. 
And then ultimately, the end goal is that we would have the character and the nature of his son, Jesus, that we would just love like Jesus and forgive like Jesus, and we would just be like Jesus. And so that's what God is up to. And so it's not a religion to be had. It's not a box to be checked, but God wants to, God literally wants to parent you. And when I say that for some of you, you're like a hard pass because you had a really bad parenting situation in your life. Well, God is not that dad and he is not that mom. He wants to show you what a good father, a good parent is. And so I want to talk about what does it mean to be parented by God? If he really does want the best for me, if he wants me to become the best version of myself, again, I have to have that relationship with him. How does this happen? How does he do this in our lives? How do we as parents do this for our children? So what I'm going to give you is what God is up to in your life. But if you're a parent, it's also like really good free parenting advice. If you're a child, it might be the curtain to what your parents are up to, kind of behind the curtain. How can we as children recognize what God is up to and as what our parents are up to? How, is we, how can we know what God is doing? Well, I want to give you just a really, really simple practical, but this is so profound. If we are going to grow, if we are going to develop, if we are going to become who God made us to be, we need to regularly experience three things. We need to have three things. And so I'm going to put these on the board. I'm going to give you kind of an, uh, an illustration. Um, and and I, would, I would hope that you kind of maybe jot this down or remember this, because this might really give you insight to where is God wanting to move in your life. So Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a father. I thank you that on this Mother's Day that you remind us that parenting is, is, is a treasure. It's a gift. And ultimately, when you chose to give us an image of your relationship with us, it was that of a parent a mother or a father. And so, um, God, I pray that you'd speak to us in these next few minutes in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're going to become fully mature adults, if we're going to become the best version of ourselves, we are going to grow. If you want to get better, if you want to grow, you have to have these three things. You have to have all of them. You can't have some of them. You have to have all of them. And so I'm going to go kind of quick through this. The first thing is you have to be in an environment where you are known. Say known. Known. You have to be known. To be known is not just to be another number. It's not to be somebody on a spreadsheet, but that your name is known. Your personality is known. Your gifts are known. Your purposes are known. Your uniqueness, your Enneagram, your strength finders, your whatever fill in the blank new, whatever thing is, all Myers, Briggs, TJTA, whatever it is. Like you're known. It's like, oh, you're James. James likes this. James doesn't like this. James grew up here. It's kind of like the Cheers bar idea in the 80s, the show where everybody knows your name. It's like, oh, hey, Art's here. Hey, Art. You know, it's like that idea. Which, by the way, did you like my friend Art who preached a couple weeks ago? Isn't he good? Yeah. Yeah. To be known. And Jesus modeled all these, by the way. Jesus set out to change the world, and he chose 12 disciples, and he spent a lot of time with his disciples, and he very, very astutely knew the difference. He knew which ones had, a, had more of a likelihood of boiling over and who were just the peacemaker ready to lay their head on his chest. Like, he knew the, he knew the difference. He knew the doubters, he knew the betrayers, and he knew the ones who were just going to kind of shut up in color, if you know what I mean. And so he knew them. All you military people, you're like, oh, he gets us. Um, there was an intimacy. And here's what I want to say, and you have to understand this. I know when I say this, some of you are going to go, well, yeah, I'm just going to find a reason why my mom didn't love me and why God doesn't love me. And I, but here's all, there's a part of on our part for all of these. Because in order to be known, some of you are like, yeah, I want to be known. I'll tell you, it requires vulnerability. You can't expect other people to know you if you are not willing to be vulnerable and authentic and transparent with them. And I don't just mean the best. I don't mean the Facebook, Instagram version, the best part, the edited, filtered version. The biggest key to being known is vulnerability. So it's a two-way street. You have a God who desperately wants to know you and, and you to know him, but it will require you to go in like David did often when he wrote the Psalms, like, here I am, like, it's not always pretty. 
the thoughts I have, the feelings I have, the way I think about my neighbor, whatever the case may be. And so we can't be known unless we're really being vulnerable. We see Jesus actually talked about this when he was in John chapter 10. He says this right very thing here in verse 14 and 15. He says, he says, I am a good shepherd. I mean, he used every good picture there was about like, I promise I really love you. Because for 2000 years, people are like, I don't know if God really loves me. He's like, how could I be more clear? Read the words. So he says, I'm a good shepherd. He says, I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. God wants to know you, but more importantly, he wants you to know that he knows you. That he, you matter to him. That he's interested and invested in the unique things about you. He likes them. Did you know God likes you? He actually likes you so much. It was his idea to create you. Even the stuff you don't like about yourself, he likes you. He knows you. You have to be known. If you're just a cog in the wheel, you're, not, you're going to have some challenges of growing and becoming the best version of yourself. So you have to be known. Say known. The second one is also very important. It's loved. Say loved. What was the first one? Known. What's the second one? Loved. You have to be loved. You have to be, you have to know that on my best day and on my worst day, I can walk in in a tuxedo or in mud or my biggest sin or my biggest trophy or whatever the case is. And somebody here is actually still going to welcome me. I'm loved for who I am. It's not based on anything I do. It's not based on anything I can achieve. I am just loved only because God says he loves me. That's it. He created me. The fact that he created you and the fact that his son died for you is all you should really ever need. He loves you. And he doesn't, he loved you before you ever added any value to him. Think about this, two ideas. First of all, if you read the Bible when Jesus was baptized, Jesus hadn't done a lick yet. Hadn't done anything. And at his baptism, God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He wanted to be really clear that even in the heavenly realms, your love is not contingent on your ability to produce or achieve. Also, I just brought Blake up. He's awesome. Some of you are gonna have a hard time with this, but from a practical stance, he adds absolutely no value to my life. He costs me sleep. He costs me backaches. He costs me workout time. I don't golf as much. He's way more expensive. I don't get to see my friends as much. My wife and I aren't hanging out as much. My daughter and I aren't hanging. He adds no, he doesn't pay a bill. He doesn't take Madison to any of her classes. He doesn't write any of my sermons. Do you see what I'm saying? He adds no value. Yet I have this unbelievable, overwhelming love for him. Because I need him to know from the beginning he can't ever and he doesn't need to earn it. And so it is times a billion with you and God. That he's not waiting for you to add value before he loves you. You're never gonna show up to God's table and he's like, well, what did you bring to the family today? You know what? You walk in the door and he's like, welcome home. Every day, all the time. And you have to have that. And... If you grew up in a family where that was the case, you are blessed and you know you are blessed. If you don't know you're blessed, you better know you're blessed. Or some people who didn't grow up in a family like that are going to slap you upside the head. Because not everybody got to have that family. I got to have that family. My, me and my siblings, we had some good times. We had some bad times. But home was always home. And my parents were really clear that, that we could not do anything to make them love us a little bit less or more. Sure, there were times they were disappointed. Sure, there were times they were proud of us. But that didn't equate to love. You have to know your love. And God wants you to know. He's like, man, I have such good things for you. And I want you to know, I know you uniquely designed you. In fact, the Bible says he knows the amount of hairs on your head. He knows you intimately and he loves you. He chooses you. He didn't have to create you. Yet he thought, you know what? My good world would be better with Mitch in it. My good world would be better with Buddy in it. 
My good world would be better with Chuck in it. My good world would be better with Alyssa in it. Yeah, but Alyssa's gonna be a liability to your kingdom and Corey's gonna say and do a lot of stupid things. Even when he's a pastor, he's like, yeah, I know, but I really want him. And so it is with you. And God wants you to know he knows you. He knows your story. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. He knows your past. He knows your dreams. He knows. He knows. Not only that, but he loves. He's, he always welcomes it. Come to me. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. I hope my kids always know whether they're zero, 10, or 20, or 30, they can always come to mom and dad. Home, in our, in our family, home will always be home. That doesn't mean there won't be boundaries. It doesn't mean there won't be conversations, but home will always be home. Jesus said it this way. Uh, John 15, that greater love has no one than this, than that person would lay his life down for his friends. Now he said this while he was still alive and his disciples didn't know what was going to happen. So they're like, oh yeah, that's what's up. Good word, Jesus. And he was like, yeah, numbskulls, I'm about to do this. I've been trying to tell you. Because this is right before he goes to the cross. He's like, hey, the greatest love is somebody would sacrifice themselves on behalf of someone else, which by the way, that's what moms do like just with their lives. So that's why they're awesome. That's what Jesus did with his life. Not so you would think he's just awesome, but so you would know the extent he's willing to go to show you that he loves you. He loves you. But I will tell you this. He wants us to love also, but the only way we can ever truly love others is we first have to understand and receive love from the Heavenly Father. You can only love to the degree that you, to the degree that you have received love. Or I would say it this way. You can't take somebody somewhere you haven't been. So some of us, we, we want to love more. Well, it starts with you understanding that you are loved by the Father. So if we're going to grow and if we're going to become the best version of ourselves, if we're going to become who God created us to be, we need three things. The first one is what? Known. We need to be known. The second one is what? Loved. And the third one, we need to be challenged. Oh, you're all like, oh, you were doing so good, Pastor. You had me till challenged. But listen, when I say challenge, let me give you my definition for challenge because this is so important. By the way, it's all biblical. Challenge is just simply encouraging somebody beyond their current comfort level. Challenge is there's more in you. It's the person who loves you enough to see the best in you and pull it out, even if it means temporary pain. Good teachers do this. Good coaches do this. Good music instructors do this. Good parents do this. It's that challenge. And, and again, this is why this is so important with this child's happiness versus their maturity is because it's like, oh, you know what? This discomfort and this doesn't make me happy. Guess what? I'm not really interested in your happiness in the moment because I know what will make you the most joyful, fulfilled, and satisfied as an adult is that you become a mature adult who contributes to society. And even psychology has shown that the happiest people are the ones who serve others in some capacity. Financially, business, it doesn't matter. And so you have to be challenged. It's that person who is not going to um, begrudgingly, but lovingly bring the best out of you. And, and I, I had a great example. This is my parents. And my dad did this because he was, my dad was my dad. He was my boss. He was my youth pastor. And he was my baseball coach. Like I couldn't get away from it. <laughs> but you have to have somebody, you have to allow yourself, young people, old people, parents, whatever. There, if you are not allowing yourself to be challenged or you are not challenging the people you say you love, you are short-sighted. You are basically robbing them of becoming the best version of themselves. We just did the CrossFit series. I go to CrossFit a few times a week. My coach has never said, just do whatever you feel like. Never. They're like, this is what your goal is and we're gonna push you to do the most. And I'm like, oh, I hate you again today. You know what I mean? But they're challenging me beyond my comfort level because they know there's more in me. And again, you should have had these people. And so you have to be challenged. And some of you, you've been running from challenges from people in your life and you've been running from challenges from God. And maybe just maybe that's the very missing link for you to become the best version and experience the intimacy with God that you've kind of been searching for. 
Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. He's talking about this illustration. He's like, God is like this gardener who takes care of everything and I'm the vine or the trunk. And he's like, you're like the branch. You stay connected to me and things will be good and God will take care of us. But he says this, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. God wants you to be fruitful in your life. He wants you to bear fruit. He has good things for you. He has a, whatever, I say it almost all the time, whatever you got planned for your life, God's got a better plan. It may be a different plan, but it's better. And so he wants that for you. And so he's saying, I want you to be even more fruitful, but even any gardener knows and God knows that sometimes I got to prune some stuff. Sometimes you got to cut some things back before you get the full bloom, right? And so sometimes God will challenge us like, you don't love me. He's like, no, 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 you misunderstand love. I'm not afraid of a little bit of discomfort or a little bit of a challenge because while you think you won't make it, I already know tomorrow. And I will always be with you to the very end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know what I'm up to in your life. I have good things for you. And oh, by the way, this really broken world isn't all there is. There's something way better on the other side. This was never meant to be the euphoria of our experience in existence. We've forgotten. If we were a little more excited about heaven, we would maybe not over maybe emphasize how important everything on earth is. There is a heaven to gain. So he wants you to be known. He wants you to be loved and he wants you to be challenged. And I would promise you that if you put yourself in a position with God to experience that or even practically in your life, that you will grow, you will develop and you will become who you're made to be. So one really important question. What happens if you only have two out of the three? I wish I could take another 15 or 20 minutes on this part, but I got to do it really fast. So listen fast. This is why you have to have all three. Because what happens if we are known and we're challenged, but we don't feel loved? Well, these people will become very easily become legalistic. These are the legalistic people. These are the people you will have a works mentality with God. You will have a works mentality with the people in your life. You will, um, often these people will become rigid. They will become defensive. This is how it is. This is how we do here. And I don't want to hear anything else about it. These are the people who feel valued only for their efforts and feel like they're only welcomed or invited based on their ability to achieve or produce. I work hard for God. I work hard for my pastor. I work hard for my boss and I've earned this and anybody else who doesn't, I just don't understand. I'm loved because I produce. They're often motivated by approval, and so they're discouraged when they don't get it. And the challenge with these people in a leadership position is often they can treat other people as a tool to the goal rather than a reason we're actually here. Maybe this is you. I felt challenged. I know God wants to. Oh, there's always more. Oh, bless God. Some of you grew up that way. Yeah, they know me. They know my name. They know what I'm good at. You're the good fence builder. By God, go build another fence. But I never really felt loved. Well, perhaps there's a little bit of softness, a bit of love, a little bit of intimacy. Maybe there's some healing or some depth that God wants to bring into your life. These people are often more concerned about what we're doing than why we're doing it or what we're doing it for. These are the people like Judas, when the woman came and broke the alabaster box on Jesus' feet and washed his feet, they're offended. They're like, what a waste! Because they don't understand their challenge. Maybe you're challenged and knowing you're not loved. God wants you to know that you're loved. If you will pursue him and allow yourself to be vulnerable before him, you will experience his love. Okay, so that's one. Well, what happens then if we are loved and challenged 
what happened? But we don't feel known. We feel like we're just like everybody else. Well, these people will get very easily discouraged. Very easily discouraged. They're often loyal to the core. They feel loved. Uh, they feel loved and they, are, they love the challenge to go deeper, to push further, to go, what's the goal? Let's go do it. But the problem is they start to feel like a cog in the wheel and they feel very replaceable and thoughts of like, I bet if I came, didn't come to work next week or come to church next week or whatever the case may be, no one would probably even notice. They'd probably just find somebody else to hold a door. They'd find somebody else to substitute teach. They'd find somebody else to run the PTO reports or whatever the case may be. Because you don't really feel known. It's like, I'm just a person to fill a box. They feel that way because they feel if they're replaceable, they must not mean that much to anyone. And they kind of believe that you, if this is you, you don't believe that who you are really, really matters, that you're not really known. Can I just tell you that that's not true in the kingdom of God? It says that he knows the, the hair on your head. You're known by God. He knows you intimately. And he wants you to know that. And again, you getting vulnerable with him will allow you to feel that. Sometimes you get discouraged because you don't like, ah, I don't feel like my boss or the people in my life really understand what I'm passionate about. These are the people that sometimes you can wake up and, and you go, hey, where did the Johnsons go? I haven't seen them for like six weeks. They just kind of slipped out because they didn't feel really known. They were loved and challenged. Maybe this is you in your relationship with God. Like, ah, I'm just pretty easily discouraged. Maybe you're easily legalistic. The other one is one I'd like to talk more about, but we don't have that much time. What, do we, what about if we feel known? I know who I am. Feel loved. Oh, you're welcome. But I don't feel challenged. Well, these are the people who are easily offended. They feel believed in and they feel encouraged all the time. You can do it, Johnny. You can do it. You got it. You got it. We love you. We love you. You're amazing. You're good. I'm so glad you went and played t-ball. Here's this participation trophy. But here's the problem. They will get very easily, quickly used to being coddled, to being protected from any sort of stretching. And um, this is the, the hard part is that they view discomfort as something is wrong. They view a challenge like, wait, 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 I thought you love it. In ministry, these are the people who, they, when it's discipleship, you're like, oh, I thought we were just getting coffee. And it's like, hey, I've noticed that you really like kind of yell at your wife a lot. It's like, whoa, 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 I thought we were just getting lunch. What's all this like getting up in my business? It's like, oh, I was trying to help you be a good husband, dude. Remember when you said, hey, pastor, help me be a good husband. I'm just doing that. You're like, well, I just want to get lunch. <laughs> these people start to believe that when we challenge them, something must be wrong. I thought you loved me. But now our culture's taking it to the extreme and we're like, oh, you're going to challenge me? Cancel. Hey, can I, but I'm going to say something real quick because I'm, I'm getting a little irritated with all the bad press, the millennials and Gen Z is getting, you know why? Because they didn't raise themselves. We raised them. So if we're going to be irritated with this next generation, let's take a little responsibility as the generations who raised them because it really is on us because nobody can raise themselves. So if we see a problem, let's be serious about that problem, but let's not forget who parented them. We did. Oh, this generation's going to hell. Well, we suck as parents then because... We're the ones they grew up in our homes. I'm just saying. They, they start to believe. These are the ones we challenge. I can't believe you said that to me. I can't believe you brought that to my attention. They get offended when other people get promoted for doing their job. <laughs> and they feel like we change the game on them when they challenge them. And sometimes there's real reasons for this. Sometimes it's because maybe you've been damaged and you've been hurt and any sort of challenge feels like abuse. And maybe you have experienced abuse and that is horrible and it should never happen. And it's why we have pastors and counselors here. But God will never abuse you. And the devil wants to use your pain from yesterday to keep you from the growth of tomorrow. And I'm here to say that God doesn't want you to do that anymore. And so maybe some of you 
are stuck. And you're like, oh, everybody's just out to get me. And you feel known and you feel loved. And these are people often that change jobs, change sports, change ideas, change churches quickly because like the minute they get challenged, they're like, I was doing good till they told me something I didn't want to hear. Who's my boss to tell me I'm not good at my job? I want to come at 10 a.m. every morning. I should come at 10 a.m. every morning. Lost ain't going to watch itself at midnight. <laughs> they just want to be known and loved. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you in your relationship with God. You're like, I, and this is my fear for where the American church is heading. We just want a God who knows and loves us, but never challenges us. Sorry, not going to happen because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has your best in mind. And he wants you to become a mature, well-formed, spiritual, mature, physically mature adult who makes his good world better and is salt and light and adds value to the world around as you go. And as much of a liability as we might be to him, he still wants to use us. Okay, time's up. So what do we do? Well, if you're, the, if you're the easily legalistic, if you're over here and you're known and challenged, I would just say this to you. And this is where you start to pursue God on your own. You just need to know that who you are is so much more important than anything you'll ever do. I say this to my team all the time. Who you are is so much more than anything you'll do for this church. Who you are is more important than what you contribute to your job, to your family. Your identity can be solely in him. You're loved for who you are, not what you do. If that's you, I would encourage you to be vulnerably, be vulnerable before God and pursue that. God, will you show me that I'm loved because I don't feel it and that goes against everything I'm hardwired to know. It'll be a process and God will take you there. Second one, well, what if I'm easily discouraged? If I'm easily, if I feel kind of, if I feel kind of loved and challenged but not known, you need to be affirmed that you are seen and you are known. That even though people in your life may have skipped over you, passed over you, picked somebody else for a different t-ball team or job or job application or wife or husband or whatever, that God would not choose anyone else other than you. And he knows you and he loves you and he wants you. And it doesn't matter how bad your past is, he still has good things for you. God sees you and you have a place in his kingdom. And over here, if you're easily offended, if that's you, what do I do? Let me just encourage you that stretching and growing and being challenged are a necessary part of becoming a follower of Jesus, and it's also a necessary part of becoming an adult. You will not grow if you're not pushed to get better. And this is the truth I would lay on you. Every time you're challenged, every time you're kind of corrected, your value and your worth are never in question. It's never about your value. It's just about you becoming who you were made to be. And so my question for you this weekend, this Mother's Day weekend, is as I invite you to be parented by God, to allow him into that space, is there one of these that resonate with you that you need to walk out this week and go, God, we need to work in this area of my life. I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to be offended. I don't want to be discouraged. I can make you this promise. Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me with all, if you seek me with all of your heart, I will meet you where you're at. And so if that's you, I'm going to encourage you to take that this week into your life and allow God to do work in your heart and in your life and say, God, I want to become the best version of myself. I want to grow. I want to experience all that you have for me. And I give you permission to love me. I give you permission to know me. Even the sinny, sinny parts, the, the poopy parts, I give you permission to challenge me. And I believe if you do that, you're going to start to see God move in your life in the areas that you want and need it most. Let's pray. God, I thank you that of all the pictures and metaphors you could have chosen for us in our lives, that you chose that of a father or a parent, 
that you want good things for us. And so, Father, I pray that we would embrace and we would pursue this idea of being known, being loved, and being challenged. And so, God, I pray that maybe there was a nugget in here for us to take as parents, that we would become better as parents. Maybe this was just for our spiritual journey. Maybe there's somebody here who's like, I couldn't even give a rip about anything you're saying. God, I pray that you would just continue to relentlessly pursue them with your love and let them know that this whole thing isn't just some show, but there's a real God who really built all of this and you really, really love them and you have good things for them. So Father, I pray that as we seek you, that we would find you and you would move in our lives like only you can. Thank you for my wonderful church. It's great to be back home. And I pray that every mom and grandma would be blessed and feel loved and all of those who desire that and have not yet in God to experience it would be comforted and consoled by you in a way only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.